that we had uh, one whole month, when we were contemplating that God was moving us to California, uh, it, it happened to be a stretch of 110 every single day for an entire month, which everybody loves, right? It's great. And so, man, I'm really happy to be here today. If you have missed our uh, series, do not be concerned because you came to the very best day. If there's a part in Acts that you said, man, I really want to get the main meat of Acts, it's chapter 15 is what we're getting into today. So, man, I, I, I you know, spent a lot of time with this section, and, and to me, every time I pour over Acts chapter 15, we can read through it like, like it was just like, you know, part of the story, but we're going to take our time today. I think it's better read than said, and so I'm going to read through Acts chapter 15, then I'll stop a few moments as I go through to help with a little context, but I think the story's better when it's all taken fully in um, before we get to it. But like, um, I just want to let you know today that we are definitely going to be looking at three things, so you can kind of prepare yourself for this. There's three things here that we're going to look at that the story really brings out, and Scripture does a beautiful job of, and I think as Luke writes it, led by the Spirit, he does, which is definitely this, is that he, in these parts, and really you see throughout most of Scripture, is the removal of barriers for someone to experience grace. It's so easy to put barriers up in front of people in order that they go through something or have to do something in order to have a relationship with God extra biblical or beyond the gospel. But we're going to look here as this is the first part we're going to see the battle over salvation and faith alone. It's really hard for Christians now as much as we've taught grace to feel that they, they, they are out of grace with God unless they do X, Y, and Z. Or if I do these things, then God will like me again. Or maybe I'll have salvation again because maybe they lost it. It's very easy to want to put restraints or put on extra burdens on our faith. So they deal with that here. And that's probably the most important thing that's dealt with here. But we're going to see something else for this battle to push barriers aside to experience grace. And we're going to see in one of these stories a grace for a second chance. It's so easy to write somebody off. It's so easy when they make a mistake. It's so easy when they didn't do what we thought they should do to write them off as someone who isn't serious about their faith or doesn't deserve a second chance. But we're going to see it happen right here in a very unexpected story. And then we're going to look at the removal of barriers to become an effective witness. Things that we're going to have to lay aside so we become more effective in our witnesses. I titled this message Bridges, Removing Barriers of Grace to the Other. And that's just what we're called to do. Anytime barriers separating someone from God wants to rise up, our job, our goal as believers, very much like Paul, was to deal with those barriers and remove them so others can experience God's grace. I'll never forget, I was in Bible college, and I was studying evangelism particularly, and I had uh, uh, an extensive evangelism class. 
And I remember just feeling like I'm going to reach out to those who I work with. I worked in a hotel. One of my friends there, his name was Thomas. And it was interesting because Thomas was not a believer. His family had come from Korea. And he, he just didn't understand Christianity. And I was his link to Christianity. He often would ask, like, why do you want to be a pastor? Like, he, he just didn't understand as I was studying in school, evangelism. So I thought, why don't I try to reach and connect with Thomas? Uh, but I didn't do a very good job, I'm not going to lie. I don't know if Thomas is a believer today. I tried my best. I was just new at it, you know, a new student. You know what I'm talking about? When you're really, really, really bad at being an evangelist, do you know what I'm talking about? He invited me over to his house, and I thought, this is an opportunity. I'm going to meet his family. We're going to go have dinner at his home. And I just was a little clueless about customs in other homes, especially not from America, who had, you know, which I was very much a Midwest boy, and I didn't know. And so I go into his house, and I'm thinking I'm going to be a positive example in his house. And I go to see his parents. I walk in with my shoes off, A number one. His mom starts speaking to him in Korean, and then he looks at me. He's like, you got to get your shoes off. So I take my shoes off. And then it was raining, so I like had my rain jacket, and then I looked around for like a hook or something, and I took my rain jacket, big, big no-no, and I put it on the ground right in front of his mother, and I, she lost her mind. And then he was like, pick your jacket up! <laughs> and he's like, and then her, his mother took my jacket and, and took it somewhere. I didn't, didn't know where she went. And we sat down, and we had a meal. I don't know if you've ever had this meal. It just... Listen, I ate steak and potatoes growing up. It's kimchi. Okay, I never had this. I didn't under, I mean, even moving here, I didn't know flavor. And so Midwesterners don't necessarily spice their food very well. And so I was, he explained it to me when I smelt it. I was like, what's that smell? And he's like, oh, it's kimchi. And I was like, what is that? And he's like, well, it's like a fermented <laughs> vegetables. I was like, I'm not eating it. I will not eat it. I, I refuse, listen. I refused to eat it. And it was like I tried to find things I could, and it was a huge, huge insult. I got back. My friend Thomas was, like, super embarrassed of me. And I got back, and I thought, I did a good job, like, being a representative to my friend's family. No, I did a horrible job. Even though I'm studying, I, I didn't quite grasp what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. I didn't get to that section yet in Bible call. I don't know what, but Paul shows us his mindset about what it means to be an evangelist, what it means to be someone who breaks barriers down for grace. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 9, it starts in verse 19. It says, For though I am free from all, so he states that clearly, I have made myself a servant to all. Though I have my own things I know to be true, I then still want to make myself a servant to those who are in need of the gospel, is what he's saying. That I might win more of them. Listen to his mentality. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. Now, he was born a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was of the highest ranks. But he says, to them, I will be a Jew, not discarding who Christ is, but I will go along with their practices. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, not being uh, myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. 
Verse 21, those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. And here's this, this, this prominent phrase you've all heard. I have become all things to all people. That, I, that by all means, I might save some. This is the very mindset of Paul. When you're going to read this section in Acts 15, you're going to see this mindset at work. That I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. This is a wonderful cadence for all of us believers to have. This is an amazing heart of someone who sees what God's plan is and allows themselves to be a part of it in such a way that they say, I'm very flexible, I'm very bendable, I will not compromise the gospel, but I will relate to as many people as I can for their sake to share in the blessing. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for words like Paul's and Corinthians. God, we thank you for a leader and a fighter who continue to push forward the message of grace beyond barriers, God. That it was a constant battle to fight for grace. But God, help us be a people of grace. That we look past differences. We look past barriers. God, we break through stereotypes. God, we get through to share the gospel. That we don't isolate ourselves and make ourselves into a bubble. But God, we go into the world to the world. That we are your ambassadors, your agents into the world to represent you, Jesus, and how you would do things. In Jesus' name, amen. We had a, uh, um, we had a girl, um, a wonderful person who attended the church a while back, and I had this conversation. I think some people would have maybe felt uncomfortable about having the conversation. I, I definitely have not. I've grown a lot since my friend Thomas's day. And I really have tried to embrace Paul's Corinthians passage. And I remember she came in, she's a wonderful person, just very humble, uh, but wasn't a believer, had experienced a lot of tragedy, and felt like God was leading her to church, or this spirit, the being, was leading her to this place. So she comes here. I had a lot of great conversations with this person, as many, any, many others did. But then she wanted to meet and wanted to meet for a specific reason. I said, well, let's talk. And as she began to talk, she said, I just feel like when I come into the church, I'm a phony. I'm a fraud. I, 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 I don't belong here because I believe in like auras and spirits. And I've studied a lot of my time into learning this type of like new age type of thinking, which was, which was where she put a lot of her investment and found that that helped her in difficult times. But now God is leading her here. And I sat there and I could have said, well, that stuff's of the devil. That's wrong. But that's not what Paul says to do here either. So I asked her a basic question. Tell me all about it. Tell me what values it's brought to your life. Tell me how it's helped you in so many different ways. And then as she began to describe, I said, well, that sounds like something Jesus does. And then, oh, that sounds like something that I find in Scripture. And then as she was going through, I said... 
That sounds a lot like why you've probably come to the church because you're seeking that out. And I think we could find it in the person of Jesus. So why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you go and read one of the Gospels, write down all the things from all of the New Age kind of learning that you've got that, that you see as values you've learned. And I want you to read the New Testament. I want you to, wow, that was a huge task to give somebody. I want you to read one of the Gospels. And I want you, every time you see Jesus displaying one of these values that you have, I want you to make the link or make the note of it, what value it is. And I want you to tell me if by the end of it, that that helped you see Jesus more clearly in who he is. And she did it. She did the work. And she came back and said, that was the best thing that you could have done for me because I started to see that this is actually who Jesus is. I learned from Paul that we have to become all things to all people. I did not compromise the gospel one bit. But it's important that we don't just push people away, but we connect in a way that points them to, I know what you're looking for. I think I know where it's at right type of thinking it's so important that we build bridges and not barriers i want to give you three very clear examples on this story of removing barriers to grace the very first story i can summarize it in one word oneness the church the corporate body in oneness about grace becoming one minded about the very protection of the gospel this is what we're going to see is a corporate solidarity for grace for the Gentiles. It wasn't there before. But a meeting is called to decide a corporate solidarity for the Gentiles to be believers and not be circumcised or have to be converted in a way to Judaism. I think the church today, honestly, when I read scripture, should really take note of how first century churches like this dealt with disagreement. How many churches split over disagreement? How many people have walked away from their faith over a church split or disagreement? How many believers have separated themselves from each other over disagreement? These are not in my notes, but I'm going to give you just a few little things that to maybe remember about disagreement, especially spiritually. When one person is interpreting Scripture one way and another is interpreting Scripture another way, how in the, old, in, in, the, in the New Testament they came to places that grew their faith in God. Number one, this is outside the message theme, but I thought I should give it, is disagreements they believed helped shape their theology. In growth. When they disagreed, they didn't just agree to disagree and never see each other again. We've gotten into a habit in our world that we fight each other online, we fight each other against one belief over another, and we divide and separate each other. But they did not believe that. They believed, let's get in a room, let's hash this out, and we're going to grow from this. The disagreements that are happening are, one of the things you'll see in all of these meetings is that it was a long time thing happening and it had to come to a head. It wasn't a flash in the pan thing. They saw that we need to deal with this. They had witnesses who would testify to their experience of what they were shaping theology to be and they were saying, I experienced this and they were taken into consideration like we'll see. But... Scripture was the ultimate authority. It must always be the ultimate authority. 
Whenever someone is debating with me about script about about something in 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 in, Christ, in the Christian world or their theology, I say you got to show me that in Scripture. I can't. I just can't with what you feel about that. We're gonna. I got I got to see it in Scripture. And it's the strongest witness in every theological debate is Scripture. It will be the premier witness in a debate. The verdict, when they come to it, is not just a compromise, but also it is. The verdict is a correction on whatever ways need to be corrected that now, you know what, we were wrong. This is how we are going. And then once agreed upon, it's officially acted upon. That's what you're going to see happen right here. That's what I wish churches would do more and more. We'd see a lot less church division and a lot less division amongst Christians if we followed that format. So let's read it. Chapter 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea. And we're teaching the brothers. This is the main problem here. Unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is why chapter 15 happens. This is why this council happens. This is why it's a problem for Paul. It says, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, meaning that this was a pretty big fight. It says... Um, that uh, they were appointed to go down to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So they sent on their way by the church. They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, mostly Gentile and Samaritan cities, describing in great detail the conversions of the Gentiles. It brought great joy to the brothers, and freedom brings joy. But some believers had belonged to the party of the Pharisees who were arguing with Paul. These are Pharisees, like Paul, who were converted to Christianity. But Pharisees were in charge of keeping the law. So they, they, they weren't transitioning into Christ and Christ alone. It hadn't been developed fully yet. They rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep them to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6. The apostles and elders were gathered together and to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, this wasn't a small matter, Peter stood up and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows, now pay attention to this, knows the heart bore witness with them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them. Now this is a big deal. Peter is not regularly part of this council. He lives in a different city. We know that. But he comes as this founding apostle to weigh in on something God is leading for the movement of the church. Listen to this. Having cleansed their hearts by faith. The heart is what matters to God. How many times we come to church is not what God is interested in most. How many times you read your Bible is not what God is interested in, in the most. How many times you pray is not what he is interested in the most or how we can say certain phrases. What God is interested in is your heart. And you're going to see here, the phrase will start to be used throughout the New Testament of the circumcision of the heart. Does God have your fully devoted attention in your heart? Are you committed to God, set apart for God in your heart? 
This was the, the crux of the argument here. And this is what Paul uses as his argument. We're going to see that the circumcision of the heart is what Paul uses many times in almost all of his writings. And by the way, this isn't a phrase Paul came up with. God, throughout the Old Testament, uses this phrase so often. You want to know why? Because there are those who are obedient only through a physical act of circumcision, but their heart is far from God. In the Old Testament, many times, listen to this one, one of the very first ones, Deuteronomy 36, God says this, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and, the offspring, uh, and your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul that you may live. It is a heart issue. I think God wants our heart, not outward displays. I think we may be in a little danger of this now today in our culture. I'm thinking about it a lot. And I was like, what would be equivalent to this? Oh, I know. The name Christian. There are many who take the name Christian very much like how people would say, well, I'm circumcised and therefore I am set apart from God, but their heart far from him. And I'm telling you, I think this might be our modern day circumcision issue. Is well, I'm a Christian, but you don't live like one. And the things that come from your heart are not like that. So it, you take the name, but your heart doesn't match the name. It doesn't seem like Jesus is the seat of your heart. I will not question their salvation, but I will definitely question that they are not having Christ as the seat of their heart. The circumcision of the heart seems like it's not quite there. They're in name only and not in heart or action. We have to be so careful of this. If this is something that you deal with, make it right. Not by Christian in name only. We can relate to this issue. Verse 10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test, Peter says. This is always a provoking type of thing to challenge them. Of like, are, are we, we do not want to put God to the test. By placing a yoke on the necks of the disciples that their fathers, uh, uh, that our fathers nor we are able to bear. But here we go. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. This is as gospel centric as possible. That through Jesus Christ we have life and salvation. And we circumcise our heart. We set ourselves aside, apart for God in his work. Verse 12, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James, the leader of the church. Now, it seems like Peter should be the leader of the church, but he's not the leader of the church. It's James, the half-brother of Jesus, the one who maybe possibly wrote the book of James. So if you want to know James, read the book of James but James is the leader of the church. Now, time has passed. And he said this with the most important summary he could say. Brothers, listen to me. Um, he went on to say, Simon has related, Simon Peter, has related how God first visited to Gentiles to take them from pe the people for his name. God visited the Gentiles. This is his work. And he took them for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as is written. Now, here we go. Here comes scripture. We heard the witnesses. We saw that they're going to grow theologically from this. 
we see that this is a long time thing coming that's coming to a head and now we're going to see the 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 pulling in of the greatest witness scripture he's going to quote amos 9 12 and he says after this i will return listen to all the eyes i highlighted them up here after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David. This is God saying this that has fallen. I will build its ruins. I will restore it. The remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. I love this. This is God's work. It's his work. And sometimes we just got to get out of the way. And this is what James is realizing. And this is what scripture will tell us sometimes. We've got to get out of the way. God is doing something. Therefore, my judgment, it goes on in 19. James is saying, my judgment is that we should not trouble these Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things that polluted or polluted by idols and from sexual immorality. And from those being strangled or from blood, meaning the sacrifices to idols. Now listen to this. I think we'll miss this if we don't slow down for a second. Verse 21. From, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaimed him. For he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Do you hear what he did? He's breaking down barriers for the Gentiles, and now he's asking Gentiles to break down barriers so they can reach non-believing Jews. So don't abuse your privilege, he's saying to these Gentiles, because we have non-believing Jews who read Moses every single Sunday. We do not want to put his stumbling block in front of them. This is how important it is to break down barriers for grace. Verse 22, And when it seemed good to the apostles and the elders of the whole church, to choose men from among them and send to Antioch with Paul with this letter. It says they sent Judas and Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. Now here's the letter Paul will take with him to all of these cities and the believers who are reaching the Gentiles will take this letter. And it becomes a prominent part of the church. The brothers, both apostles and elders, to the brothers of the Gentiles of Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, which Paul is going to go next. It says, Greeting. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we did not give them instruction. These were rogue people outside of endorsement going and making difficult barriers for the Gentiles. It seemed good to us to have... Uh, having come of one accord, unity, a oneness, to choose men and send them with you, uh, to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of Jesus. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, meaning that we're not just going to send Barnabas and, and, and Paul back to say, hey, this is what happened at the council. We're sending good, credible witnesses as well from us. It says, we have therefore sent them and uh, who themselves will tell you the same things uh, by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And I'll tell you what. It wouldn't be legitimate unless it was endorsed by the Holy Spirit and enacted by this council in oneness. To lay hands on you, no greater burden that is required. And here's where he gives them the instructions not to be a stumbling block themselves. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from what has been strangled, from sexual immorality. A lot of uh, 
sexual morality in sacrificial cults. And so he's saying, like, hey, listen, you've got to separate from that. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well, farewell. I'm going to read the rest of this real quick, and then we'll jump into the next point. But it goes on to say, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and have gathered the congregation together, and they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement, freedom, gospel truth, always brings excitement and joy and encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, these guys from Jerusalem Council, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers, those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained, and they began to teach in Antioch. This was a turning point in Acts. You will see as we go into the next chapters, this was the turning point. We are now going into Paul eventually going to Rome. It's essential. It lands right in the middle of the book. This was the turning point for the whole world. Is that the gospel was beginning to form in its theology and it was beginning to have structure around it and others were beginning to rejoice that freedom had come. And I just, when I read this, when I talk about barriers to grace, what they boldly went forward and did is that we have to remember that we don't want to fight God on breaking down barriers. We don't want to fight him on reaching his children. It's easy to create barriers, but the gospel wants us to push through them for the sake that we'll share in eternity with who we are trying to reach. This is my thought. Okay, this is, this is me. I'm not quoting anybody. I'm going to quote myself. I definitely think religion tends to build barriers to God. And I'm making a separation between religion and our faith. Religion will tend to bring barriers. And we have experienced it in a lot of different ways. I've seen it firsthand many times. It's making things difficult for people to reach God. When Christ came, that we would all be connected with him through Christ. Communities like this chose not to be religious. And they chose to work together to join in together in unity to bring people closer to God. God is not about barriers between his people that he's seeking to bring to himself and him. We have to make sure we don't do the same. I love this council who brought and loosened the weights. I think this is, we never compromise the gospel though. I don't think it's a good idea for you to go down to the bar and get wasted with everybody down there so you can reach them. That's not great. It's definitely not a value of Christ. It's not part of scripture to do that. It's actually a hindrance to your witness. I'm talking about barriers. It can be stereotypes. It can be racially. It can be all kinds of different divisions that happen. It can be in our financial differences. It can be all these barriers but we have to make sure we always fight them. Theologically, it can be that way. I've been around people who do not drink and will not drink whatsoever. And to be the great witness that I can be, as best as I can, I will say, well, then I will not drink around you. Well, what if I never get to drink again? I'm, I'm so sorry. Your liver will be happy. I think we can, we, we, we can get a little bit selfish sometimes. We have to realize, 1 Corinthians, I will become all things to all people that I may save some. You may have to put yourself aside sometimes 
for some. But I will say this, that we don't compromise the gospel. But I will say, though, that you don't want to lay a weight heavier on someone than the gospel requires. Well, if you just prayed this much every single day, or if you just did these things, then God would then love you. Our faith comes through Christ and Christ alone, which was done and handled right there. I'll never forget becoming a Christian. Wow. It was, I didn't know how Christians acted, how they were. And so coming from where I was, I just thought, well, this is what you must do. I must wear khaki pants, you know, pleated. Very important. I must tuck my shirt in. I must wear belt. I must wear loafers. And I will wear a button-up shirt. I'm not lying. I'm not a smart guy. I just thought, this is what they all look like. I must do that. It was a barrier in a way because I felt like I was, didn't know, know what I was becoming. And it was all on the outside trying to reflect something on the inside. But that's not what God's concerned about is how I dress. God's concerned mostly and prominently about my heart. But we can put weights on people. Back in the day, if you didn't wear your suit, it was like, excuse me? I, I like Chuck Smith. Do you know who he is? He did something radical. He said, uh, well, let's let all these people who wear sandals and shorts come into church. And there was an uproar that happened in Costa Mesa. But man, so many people were reached. Didn't compromise the gospel one bit. It was just an outside, just ridiculous thing that was holding people back. The second thing here is this. We see about a barrier being broken down. And I think this is probably very relatable to a lot of people. Is that a barrier that caused and allowed second chances. I don't know about you, but I like second chances. Sometimes it's hard to give someone a second chance, you know. But we sure do appreciate them when they come ourselves. Barnabas ultimately removes a barrier in this next section to a guy named John Mark, who possibly wrote the book of Mark, who is also Barnabas's cousin. Now, if you remember a few chapters back, Paul didn't really wasn't too happy with John Mark, and we're going to find out why. He was on a mission, going to reach the Gentiles. And here's where it comes to head. Verse 36, And after some days, Paul and Barnabas said, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city that we proclaim the word of the Lord. This has been years since they've been there. And see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take, them, or take with them John Mark. John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take the one who had uh, withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, this area to where they had very difficult evangelism. And had gone with them to do the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul. How can this happen? These are, these are two good buddies. These guys have been fighting day in and day out for the faith. And this disagreement overtaking someone who needed a second chance. And Paul was like, no, 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 no. He abandoned these people and went back home. I'm not taking him. Now, some of us may say that that is a loss for the kingdom, but I don't think so. I think that ultimately God used Barnabas and John Mark to go to Cyprus where they're going to go and evangelize the, church, the, the churches that they started there, and Paul's going to go a different route. But Barnabas gives them a second chance. They had a sharp disagreement, and so they separated from each other. Barnabas took uh, uh, Mark with him, sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers 
to the grace of the Lord. And they went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. This is where Silas was already doing work. Paul goes with him. They have different giftings. But we let our different giftings separate us, unfortunately. And this is an unfortunate situation, but God uses it. Paul is very much type A. I'm getting there. Barnabas is type B. I'm going to care for. I'm going to relax a little bit more. I'm going to restore. Chad and I joke about it all the time. Chad is more like Barnabas, and I am definitely more like Paul. And Chad will be like, hey, let's give this person another chance. I'm like, uh, Chad, no. <laughs> none of you, though. None of you. I've never said this about any of you. He's a very gracious man, and he will, let, he will help someone into restoration to restore them. Sometimes he's wrong, and sometimes I'm wrong. But I think that, that, that they're just differently geared. But Barnabas does something I respect so much in people like him, and, and like Chad, is that he gives him a second chance to restore him. Listen to what Paul says years later, though. Guess who was wrong about this? Paul. Years later, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, 11, only Luke is with me. No one else is with me. <laughs> Bring Mark, the one who Paul said, we're getting rid of him, with you when you come, for he will be very helpful in my ministry. Barnabas, Barnabas rehabilitated him, didn't allow this barrier to happen, and gave him another chance. And we have the book of Mark to thank for Barnabas' work. And we have Paul had him to thank for restoring him and not giving up. I want to be more like Barnabas. You know, we have to learn to break down barriers that just write people off and allow them to work if they want to work, to be restored. This is a moment of barrier being broken down, which Paul, unfortunately, even himself put up. He's a human being. The last one is this, and it's pretty short. Effective witness. Being an effective witness. This carries right into the next, in chapter 16. We'll read the first few verses. A barrier to grace is being an ineffective witness, but an effective witness breaks them down at their own cost. <laughs> I don't even know. Like when, I, when you read this, you're like a little confused and a little worried. Paul circumcises Timothy to remove the barriers to Jews so that the gospel wouldn't be hindered. Now let me read this because Paul is going to the country, to these different areas, bringing a message that Gentiles don't need to be circumcised, yet he circumcises Timothy, his protege. Let's read it. The scripture explains it itself. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra, the place Lystra where he was stoned. And disciple, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He's probably known in the region. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to uh, accompany him, and he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. Meaning this, that Tim, Paul needed to get places that only Timothy being circumcised could get him places. And if Timothy wanted to go, it needed to happen. It wasn't against the letter. He's literally bringing a letter to bring freedom, but yet he had to do it in order to get Timothy places that Timothy needed to go. For they all knew that his father was a Greek, and they knew it wouldn't fly if he entered a synagogue or was eating in the table of fellowship with them who were non-believers. 
As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered them, uh, delivered to them the observance of the decisions and that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in numbers daily. I, I think that when I read this, I don't get confused that Paul is a hypocrite. I get encouraged of Timothy's desire to reach those who are unreached. God is not asking for something like that from us. But he is asking us to lay down certain things that would hold us back from reaching someone who needs to be reached. Timothy saw what Paul saw. Timothy is his protege. He, he, he is one of Timothy. Timothy is the person who Paul sent to strengthen churches. And he needed to be mobile and he needed to be able to reach those who couldn't be reached by all means necessary. I think if you're around someone who doesn't drink, don't drink. I mean, that's not a commandment. I'm not giving you a commandment. Just be observant of them and be respectful that you can win some for Christ. I think if you're around somebody who has humble means, don't brag. Don't be like, hey, where did you go for spring break? Oh, we just stayed home because we can't afford. Well, hey, we were in Cabo for two weeks. Incredible. Don't do it. It's not effective witness. I think if you're around an unhealthy family, it's you do your best to encourage them. But it's not an opportunity to stand on their weakness, to brag about yourself. You will loosen and weaken your effect in the gospel. If someone cusses around you, listen, I can't tell you how many times <laughs> I have long conversations with people. And then when they find out I'm a pastor, they go on the apology tour. I didn't mean, I, I shouldn't have said, I'm like, you're good, you're good, it's cool, you're fine, okay? Like, we have to be concerned about the witness that, that, that we can look past certain things. There are certain things you will not cross. But there are some things to be an effective witness we must do. If you cuss and you're around others who are witness, you're not being as an effective witness to that person. You may think you're relating to them, but, you're, but, but you're, you're putting yourself further for them to question you further on your devotion. Even whether you think it's wrong or not or they think it's wrong or not, there's a, a consensus that they think that Christians are. Do not put yourself as a stumbling block. Food restrictions. If someone isn't eating something because of their religious belief, be honoring of that because the doorway is hopefully on the other side of that hospitality if someone has strong political bent, it's worth hearing them out. Listen, no more time than when COVID happened and the lockdowns happened did I hear every side in the world coming at me on a daily. And I remember I just had to go, Ryan, you're gonna, you are going to be neutral. I got to call Chad. I got to tell him I don't know what to do. I got to talk to the elders. And I got to just sit here and go, God, Help me through this. It was a very tough time that I had to make sure to, to, to be the witness I need to be for unity. You need to be someone who can hear and empathize with all sides. Why put a stumbling block or a barrier where you don't need to? So this is what this part of scripture tells us. To encourage us on is that Paul embraced that 1 Corinthians 9 passage. All things to all people. 
Does an American diplomat go to India and demand at every meal they have a cheeseburger? Where's my cheeseburger? Do you think they would be effective? How good do you think they would be at diplomacy? We are ambassadors of Christ. That is what we're called. And we are called to represent the kingdom everywhere we go. And sometimes that means saying no to a cheeseburger. I know, God forbid, but no. We have to be aware and be wise and be thinking like Paul. Could you guys bow your heads in here? I think it took the church's oneness to remove barriers, even against some of their traditions for Gentiles. It took that compromise. I think it took Barnabas to remove John Mark's shame to disciple him and strengthen him, to remove the barrier. I think Timothy, it took his desire to reach his people and others with no barriers to undergo the knife. God's called us to reach people, not to bring division, not to bring strife, but to reach people. Never compromise your gospel values and truths. But like Paul, all things to all people. The gospel of grace is for all people, all places. And as an ambassador of Christ, you need to be effective wherever you go. The world is lost and dying. And I'm sorry, but my political views are way less important than someone lost and dying in need of someone to share the gospel. My diet is way less important than someone needing to hear the gospel. Or my offense level is way less important for someone to hear the gospel. Paul modeled it. I don't see it any other way. So let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for leaders like Paul, Barnabas, Silas, John Mark, and that council, God. And God, I pray that we be a church, God, who is absolutely in our hearts, sold out to the gospel, 100% for you. Not a, not a fake act, not, a, not just taking the name, but God, that you sit at the seat of our heart. But God, that we be wise and we look to reach and break barriers, God. We look to extend to the other versus isolate from them. Jesus, there was no place you wouldn't go. There was no person that was too scary for you. There was no social boundary that was set that you didn't go and do as you knew you should do. Jesus, help us have the strength to follow in your footsteps, to be bold and to love like you love. We put ourselves aside and we live every day as someone who's dying to this flesh in this world to reach the other. We love you, and we, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand with me this last song?